0: Please listen as I read God's word from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, straining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Father and Lord, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produced figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Good morning, everybody. I'm Tom. Uh, welcome to uh, the Christ Community Lewa Campus, and to all of you who are online. Welcome today. It's a beautiful day in Kansas City. I love the fall. It's an amazing, and I love NFL football. Now, the Chiefs have given us, well, some concerns, uh, but the sports world has actually been focused somewhere else this week. Have you noticed? It's been focused not on the Kansas City Chiefs, but on the Las Vegas Raiders. Coach John Gruden resigned this week. Because of words, he wrote in emails dating back to 2010. Now, NFL network Tom Policero put it this way as he reported Gruden's words. As Gruden said, thank you to all the players and coaches, thank you staff and fans of Raider Nation. Gruden said, I'm sorry, I never meant to hurt anyone. Now, Coach Gruden's apology and resignation was such a visible reminder for all of us how massively powerful our words really are. Think with me for a moment. Words can lift up or tear down. They can unite. They can divide. They can make us laugh, and they can make us cry. Words can deepen a friendship, and words can destroy a friendship. Words can build bridges, and they can burn them. Words stick with us. They leave a lasting imprint on us. Recall a time when someone else's words, think with me for a moment, stopped you in your tracks. Those words were so painful you couldn't breathe after you heard them. Words simply cannot be taken back. Think with me a time you wished you could take that word or words back. It may have been an offhanded comment to a friend, a coworker, a family member. Regrettable words may have been in a text you sent or a Facebook post or in a heated argument at work, at home, with our children, our siblings, with our spouse or close friend. We all have stories of regret, don't we? When it comes to our tongue, I know I do. And transparently, some of my most regrettable moments in my entire life is not surrounded or ensconced in something I did, but rather something I said. And in our information age, technology has only enhanced the power of words. Our words now go faster, farther and have a much much longer shelf life than any words ever uttered in human history. Our tongues, your tongue, my tongue have never been more powerful. And the question that raises this morning for all of us is how do we avoid speaking words we or others who hear them will regret? This is the question brilliant and inspired first century writer James helps us address this morning. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the New Testament book of James, chapter 3, James 3. Now as a church family across our campuses, we have been exploring this inspired New Testament book in a message series we've entitled Real Faith, There is a very long line of tradition, as close to certainty as we get, great confidence that the book of James was likely written by Jesus' younger brother. Think about that as we enter his thoughts. James knew Jesus very, very well. I'm six of seven children. I know my siblings well, I'll tell you. And as a devout Jewish man, he ends up worshiping his brother as Messiah, God in human flesh. Keep that in mind as we explore this text. He learned from Jesus by both Jesus' life and, yes, by Jesus' words. And James writes in very (laughs) down-to-earth wisdom where the Christian faith, yours and mine, meets the very challenges of everyday life. He gets real in a hurry. And what we are going to discover is the theme of this text, and that is real faith changes how we talk. In other words, when we embrace the gospel, the gospel inevitably brings a new lip style, one of wisdom, of truth, of love, of grace, and yes, transparency. Now, as we explore this text this morning, follow the flow of this text that James lays out. He gives us three laden wisdom reminders that are progressive in its literary progression. These are the three that arrange the text first. James will say, Our tongues tell us a great deal. Our tongues tell us a great deal. On the heels of that, he then pivots and says, Our tongues have great power. They tell us a great deal. They have great power. And he builds to a literary crescendo to describe, third, our tongues do great damage. Okay? That's the the flow of the text. First. The first reminder we're going to look at is our tongues tell us a great deal. Now, after reminding teachers, particularly who traffic in words of the accountability of their words, he begins to talk to all of us, regardless of our vocation. Look at me at verse 2. James writes, for we all stumble or make mistakes, that's the idea, in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect. The word here is integral or whole. A perfect person able to bridle his entire body. What James is saying first in his discussion of the tongue is our tongues are very revealing. Our tongues reveal the badly frayed fabric of our humanity. And this is what James is saying. He puts us a bit back on our heels. What we say says a lot about who we are. What we say says a lot about who we are. In other words, metaphorically, the tongue is like a barometer of our inner world, our virtue, our spiritual formation. The tongue tells us what's really inside of us. In other words, our works, our words sorry, speak to the genuineness or disingenuousness of our faith. They speak to our spiritual maturity or our spiritual immaturity, our integrity or our lack of integrity, our emotional intelligence or our lack of emotional intelligence. They tell us of the filling of the Spirit or the grieving of the Spirit. And Jesus speaks profoundly to this, brilliantly as he always does. In Matthew 15, verse 18, Jesus makes the strongest emphatic assertion in the text. What comes out of our mouth proceeds from what? Our heart. Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter, and the matter is the heart. Jesus says, at the root of any tongue problem you and I have is a lurking heart problem. Think with me about this past week. Maybe even before you came to church this morning (laughs) or joined us online. What are the conversations you've had with yourself about yourself or others? Those non-verbalized words also speak to our heart problem. Only a changed heart makes possible the change of the tongue. So first, James tells us as he explores this thing called the tongue, our tongues first tell us a great deal. They are amazingly revealing. But Notice secondly, the reminder where he goes next, the wisdom-laden reminder that our tongues have great power. This is the second reminder of the text. Look at me at verses 3 through 5. James continues, If we put bits in the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. <laughs> look, look at the ships also, though they are so massively large is the idea and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. <laughs> so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great! is set ablaze a forest fire with such just a small spark is the idea. Now, James wants all of us, as thoughtful readers of the text, as thoughtful listeners, to grasp the small part of our bodies have big-time power. In fact, the original language has this deep contrast of superlatives. Very, very small. Very, very big, right? And he's trying to bring something through three metaphors, overlapping metaphors that have a common meaning. What are they? The metaphor of a bit of a horse, the rudder on a ship, and a small spark. What's in common is what connects the meaning of the text. In other words, they are very, very small, but even though they are very, very small, they have awesome power. That's the idea. The human tongue is so very small, but is so very powerful. James wants to ride this home in our hearts. Now, if you know something about the book of James, it is often described by New Testament scholars as the Proverbs of the New Testament. It echoes the book of Proverbs over and over again, and here is exactly what James is doing. Most of his Jewish readers knew Proverbs. And Proverbs gives us this picture in Proverbs 18.21. This may be a really good verse for all of us to memorize. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power. Literally, Hebrew is in the, yod, the hand of the tongue. The NIV translates Proverbs 18.21 really well. He says, the tongue has the power of life and death. That's exactly it. This is what James is saying. Life and death. This is not hyperbole. This is wisdom. What is the writer of Proverbs saying as James echoes him? What he is saying, then, in a very mysterious way, a very powerful way, your words, my words, Can change the course of another person's life. In other words, Proverbs and James are reminding us that in our tongues, in our words, we hold the flourishing or lack of flourishing of others, of a community. The physical, emotional, relational well-being of others is in our tongue. Eugene Peterson in his Wonderful paraphrase of the message, does it so well. He says, Our, a word out of your mouth may seem of no account to you, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. Now, if you've ever taken a firearm safety course, one of the first things that is impressed on you over and over are the essential safety rules to handle a gun. And the first safety rule is this. It is ever-present, always treat a firearm as if it is loaded. What is the first thing a responsible person does when they are handed a firearm? They immediately check to see if it's loaded because you treat every gun as if it's loaded. The second safety rule follows, and that is, Always, always know where your barrel is pointed. These two firearm safety rules are ever present. They're always there. Why? Why? Because with a firearm, you and I hold the power of life and death in our hands. And once you fire a gun, you can't unfire it. This is the picture James gives us of our tongues. They are like firearms. We need to treat our tongues as if they are always loaded, and we need to be constantly aware where our words are pointing. Why? It's the third reminder. Our tongues tell us a great deal. They have great power, but they do great damage. James drives this point home. Notice in the text, verses 6 through 12. He presses more into the fire metaphor, this massive damage of an out-of-control forest fire. It's far-reaching effects. Think of an unintended campfire, a careless cigarette, an errant electrical spark in a building, or a sudden lightning strike. What that can do. Now maybe you've been following the massive numbers of fires in the West. The LA Times every week gives an update on the fires. There's the Hay Press fire. Now get this. I looked at it this week. This fire started on July 31st, which in one sense is not that long ago. Either by carelessness or by lightning strike. They don't know for sure. But think about this. This, As of this week, this fire has burned 73 days. (laughs) And I can't even tell you, it has burned to the ground everything in its past, path for 192, 107 acres. Not only has this fire done massive damage to property, it has filled the air across our nation with smoke. In August, Liz and I had the joy of being in Estes Park for a vacation, and uh, I've been to Colorado many times. I've flown into Denver many, many times. I've never seen it like this. I couldn't even see downtown. It was just gray everywhere. And even when we got up into the mountains to hike, every morning you could smell the fire. And your lungs burned when you hiked. Long-lasting, far-reaching James also makes the point that destructive flames of the tongue, do not miss this in the text. In fact, this is the theme in chapter 3, are fanned by hell itself. This is not hyperbolic rhetoric. And James marvels with dropping amazement, y'all. Now, while many creatures can be tamed, the tongue cannot be tamed point is the tongue is harder to control than the most ferocious beast now i i love J.R. token and all his works lord of the rings i hope you do he's a masterpiece of capturing our imagination of the most ferocious scary beast in middle earth and uh there's a whole bunch of them i think i have one picture of, of one of them but like think of all the creatures that scared the out of you right the wargs the orcs the trolls the goblins, vampires, bats, giant spiders, werewolves, serpent, dragon, all of them. There's just a whole bunch of them. And this is the imagination stoking James is giving us. Think of all the creatures in imagination and real world that are so terribly scary. He says that's nothing compared to what's inside your mouth. Wow. Ferocious beast. See, one of the most damaging uses of our tongue is to shame others. Dr. Kurt Thompson, what a, what a privilege it was to have him here the last couple, three days. Uh, and if you missed the Thursday night lecture, uh, I'd encourage you to go to our website. The first few minutes, there's a little bit of a problem, but once he starts really speaking, so just go through that first, we had a little technical issue, don't miss it. But he reminded us over and over again of the peril of shame. How evil uses shame. And let me say, James reminds us, our words are often the primary hellish conduits of shaming others. Notice what the text says. James alludes to this with the language of cursing. When we curse others, what do we do? We devalue them. We shame them. And he says, hey, they are made in the likeness of God. Right? Few words explicitly said, or implicitly implied, are more damaging than shame on you. And in verse 8, James describes the out-of-control tongue. If that's not enough, as a restless evil, a deadly poison. And yet, that's not even all. In the next chapter, in verses 11 through 12, James describes the tongue as playing God himself, usurping God's judgment prerogative. Our tongues play God in other people's lives. Look at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 4. He says, Do not speak evil against one another's brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or sister judges his brother or sister. He speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, right? That's God himself, who is able to save and to destroy, but you are, but who are you to judge your brother? Now, James uses words for evil here that have all kinds of semantic nuance, broad semantic nuance. The idea here is, speaking evil, is ideas often of of shame-filled, of slanderous, of tearing down kind of words that are contemptuous. When we do that, we play God. Speech James is referring to is not proper speech. Of course, the Bible speaks a lot about proper speech. Speaking the truth in love is important. That is speaking words that this is speaking words that devalue other people or put them in a bad light. Words that are contemptuous raise suspicion about people and are damaging barbs of shame. James also says here in chapter three I mean, most of it is pretty strong warning, but there's a sliver of, of hope here. Our words can do good, right? Notice the language of blessing. Life-giving. We can give life to others through our tongue. Mark Twain, the great American writer, loved Mark Twain. He once said it so brilliantly. He said, I can live two months on a good compliment. That's me. Not false flattery. That's different. See, we, we are so tied together. We live and feed off other people's words of love and affirmation. And again, speaking the truth in love. So James says, watch our tongue. Our words tell us a great deal. Secondly, they have great power and they do great damage. So the question again in wisdom is, how do we pursue a wise lip style? How do we do that? James reminds us, notice what the text says. Don't try to tame your tongue. Instead, train it. Don't tame it. Train it. Like other spiritual disciplines, at the end of the day, it is never about merely just trying harder. It is about training better with Jesus as his yoked apprentice. Now, let me suggest three guidelines for tongue training. First, watch your tongue. Growing up, my tongue was a big problem. Maybe you think it still is. I don't know. My mom knew it early on, man. I had all kinds of words, and a lot of them were rotten to the core. And she would often look at me because only a mom could do this out of love. She'd all, all kind of look at me when my tongue was completely out of control. And she would say, "Son, watch your tongue." "Son, watch your tongue." And there were a few times where she went to the kitchen sink with her dish rag, with a bunch of soap, and she said, "Here, wash that out." Now, of course, that soapy towel didn't change my heart. But it raised my awareness, physically, of how my heart needed attention. And my words and my tongue needed lots of training. Now, as a daily discipline, I needed to learn to keep my eye on my tongue. And frankly, a big part of my problem, I'm sure none of you have this, is I was simply talking too much. And listening way too little. Watching our tongue means many things, but for many of us, it means not using it so much. Fascinating, isn't it? That James already talks about this in James 1.19. I see a lot of nodding. James says early off the blocks, and know this, my beloved brothers and sisters: what? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger now I have a long ways to go in training my tongue and I'm much more measured in what I write or speak these days and I've found the spiritual discipline of silence to be really helpful in training my tongue Dallas Willard brilliant philosopher who's with Jesus now in ways unimaginable describes this discipline so well that he taught us He writes, in silence, we close off our souls from sounds, whether those sounds be noise, music, or words. When we carve out time, it may be part of a day, an entire day, to embrace greater silence in our life. We intentionally limit our talking or our written communication with others. And when we discover, in those moments, we discover the richness of silence, the greater awareness of just how noisy our lives are, how many words we use. We also, in the discipline of silence, become more attentive to how many of the words of others we do not truly hear. And perhaps most important, is how seldom we hear the loving, encouraging, coaching, still, small voice of God. In training your tongue, first, watch your tongue. Secondly, listen to your tongue. Slow down and listen to what your tongue is saying. What is your tongue saying about others? But even more importantly, is listening carefully to what your tongue is saying about you. What are your words revealing about the present state of your heart? And like all true listening, listening to your tongue requires a posture of attentiveness. In his excellent book, I highly recommend The Attentive Life by Leighton Ford. The Attentive Life by Leighton Ford. He points us to the peril of inattentiveness. This is what he says. Think about this. Slow down listen. Perhaps, he writes... Inattentiveness is our greatest sin. Not only against him, but against ourselves. Growing in Christlikeness requires a Holy Spirit empowerment of awareness in our lives, a growing attentiveness to our heart-fueled words. Living a more attentive life is something we intentionally practice not only individually, but together in the context of spiritual community. A wise lip style is lived out and formed in spiritual community and it will mean for all of us to learn, to practice, watching our tongue, listening our tongue, and lastly, disciplining our tongues. The Apostle Paul speaks a lot about discipline, doesn't he? He spends a great deal of time speaking about the importance of words within the local church community. If you read his writings... And when writing to Pastor Timothy, who is serving the local church at Ephesus, he pens these words in 1 Timothy 4:17 or 4, seven. "Train yourself for the purpose of godliness. Godlikeness." The Greek word used here, that we get, we get the English word "gymnasium from. And we must not miss this as yoke the apprentice of Jesus, Our spiritual formation, the greater Christ-likeness, involves. Ongoing, consistent training. There is no substitute for this. Neither is there any shortcuts. Optimum physical health, we know what, needs regular discipline exercise. And that is very true of our spiritual life. Spiritual growth and formation is not merely about trying harder. It is about training better with Jesus. This is why James says, the tongue cannot be tamed by merely trying harder. But the tongue can be trained as our hearts are continually transformed in grace. We must remember that grace, properly understood, biblically understood, is opposed to earning or merit, period. But it is not opposed to discipline and effort. Grace, rightly understood, and experienced empowers a lifestyle of spiritual discipline. The Apostle Paul emphasized this very thing in the local church at Ephesus. He says in the first three chapters, he captures the glory of the gospel, right? That Jesus came to this earth, he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross as an atoning death, sacrifice for our sin. He defied death by his glorious resurrection and he invites you and me by no merit of our own to be forgiven completely and experience a brand new creation life now and for all eternity. This is glorious news of the gospel. And then once he frames that in chapters four through six, he says, okay, what is the implication of that gospel life? Surprise, surprise. (laughs) He goes to the tongue. Ephesians 4.29. And if you've not memorized this text, this may be one of the most important applications of this morning's message. Paul says as gospel people, we have a new lip style. And this is what he says in Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as good for edification according to the need of moment that it may give grace to those who hear If you and I want to get a handle on our tongue, if we want to watch our tongue, listen to our tongue, and discipline our tongue, that it might be a force for life and not death, then we need to apply Paul's wise words here of a gospel lip style. This is what I would suggest Paul is giving to us as tongue safety training. Like a firearm, our tongues are always loaded. The question is, where are they pointed? And is the safety on there are three safety questions embedded in Ephesians 4.29 that Paul wants God's faith community to continually raise before we speak. And these are the three. First, are my words edifying? Paul says, let no, not some, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. The word wholesome has a sense of truth and grace, but it, Let no no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification. That means building up, giving life to others. So the first question we ask is, are are my words edifying? Are they life-giving? Second, are my words necessary? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment. Fascinating, he says, the moment. Are the words I want to say, Are they necessary at this time? Many times, dear friends, your words and my words do not simply need to be said. In fact, James is echoing Proverbs 10.19. What does Proverbs 10.19 say? Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise you connect the corollary there. Many words, many transgressions. Of course, there are going to be times we need to say words, right? In love, truth-telling is essential. There are times when words need to be said carefully, thoughtfully, to call out sin or injustice or to defend others or to encourage others. And it's not just what we say. Proverbs says how we say it matters, right? For example, a gentle answer turns away wrath. It's also tone. Are my words edifying? Are they necessary? And lastly, are they grace-filled? Paul says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to everyone who hears. So we need to ask ourselves: are our words filled with grace? Are they indwelt by grace? Are my words gracious in tone? Even words, hard words that need to be said and correction that has to take place. This morning, maybe the Spirit of God has brought to mind words that you have spoken this morning, this week, or written that were deceitful, slanderous, raised questions of others' integrity, or shameful or contemptuous of another image-bearer of God. You know them. Words, perhaps, that you've spoken against a brother or sister in Christ that have put them in a bad light or raised suspicion about them. Perhaps your words were silent when you should have stood up and said something to clarify the truth or to defend another, and you didn't. See, the tongue is very skilled at both the sins of commission and omission. And maybe an action point for each of us this morning is to confess to God first, to find forgiveness. But also go to a brother or sister, a spouse, a friend, a colleague, and ask forgiveness for words you have spoken. In love and grace, James reminds all of us, The real faith changes how we talk. It does. That our words, your words and my words, reflect the true condition of our hearts. So friends, let me ask you the question. What are your words saying? And what are they saying about you? Let's pray. Father, with the psalmist, we pray. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you. You are our rock, our redeemer, our audience of one. And may our words be life-giving to others. Amen.